Chapter Sixteen of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume Three, translated by Jonathan Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Story of Allah Adin, or the Wonderful Lamp, Part One. In the capital of one of the large and rich provinces of the Kingdom of China, the name of which I do not recollect, there lived a tailor named Mustafa, who was so poor that he could hardly, by his daily labour, maintain himself and his family, which consisted of a wife and son. His son, who was called Allah Adin, had been brought up in a very careless and idle manner, and by that means had contracted many vicious habits. He was wicked, obstinate, and disobedient to his father and mother, who, when he grew up, could not keep him within doors. He was in the habit of going out early in the morning, and would stay out all day, playing in the streets and public places with idle children of his own age. When he was old enough to learn a trade, his father, not being able to put him out to any other, took him into his own shop, and taught him how to use his needle. But neither fair words, nor the fear of chastisement, were capable of fixing his lively genius. All his father's endeavours to keep him to his work were in vain, for no sooner was his back turned than he was gone for that day. Mustafa chastised him, but Allah ad Din was incorrigible, and his father, to his great relief, was forced to abandon him to his idleness, and was so much troubled at not being able to reclaim him that it threw him into a fit of sickness, of which he died in a few months. The mother, finding that her son would not follow his father's business, shut up the shop, sold off the implements of trade, and with the money she received for them, and what she could get by spinning cotton, thought to maintain herself and her son. Allah ad-Din, who was now no longer restrained by the fear of a father, and who cared so little for his mother, that whenever she chid him he would abuse her, gave himself entirely over to his idle habits, and was never out of the streets from his companions. This course he followed till he was fifteen years old, without giving his mind to any useful pursuit, or the least reflection on what would become of him. In this situation, as he was one day playing, according to custom, in the street, with his vagabond associates, a stranger passing by stood to observe him. This stranger was a sorcerer, called by the writer of this story the African Magician. He was a native of Africa, and had been but two days arrived from thence. The African Magician, who was a good physiognomist, observing in Allah ad Din's countenance something absolutely necessary for the execution of the design he was engaged in, inquired artfully about his family, who he was, and what were his inclinations. And when he had learned all he desired to know, went up to him, and, taking him aside from his comrades, said, "'Child, was not your father called Mustafa the tailor?' "'Yes, sir,' answered the boy, "'but he has been dead a long time.' At these words the African magician threw his arms about Allah ad Din's neck, and kissed him several times, with tears in his eyes. Allah ad Din, who observed his tears, 
asked him what made him weep. Alas, my son, cried the African magician with a sigh, how can I forbear? I am your uncle. Your worthy father was my own brother. I have been many years abroad, and now I am come home with the hopes of seeing him. You tell me he is dead. I assure you, it is a sensible grief to me to be deprived of the comfort I expected. But it is some relief to my affliction, that as far as I can remember him, I knew you at first sight, you are so like him, and I see I am not deceived. Then he asked Allah ad putting his hand into his purse, where his mother lived, and as soon as he had informed him, gave him a handful of small money, saying, Go, my son, to your mother, give my love to her, and tell her that I will visit her to-morrow, if I have time, that I may have the satisfaction of seeing where my good brother lived so long, and ended his days. As soon as the African magician left his newly adopted nephew, Allah ad ran to his mother, overjoyed at the money his uncle had given him. Mother, said he, have I an uncle? No, child, replied his mother. You have no uncle by your father's side or mine. I am just now come, said Allah ad from a man who says he is my uncle by my father's side, assuring me that he is his brother. He cried and kissed me when I told him my father was dead. And to show you that what I tell you is truth, added he, pulling out the money, see what he has given me. He charged me to give his love to you, and to tell you if he has any time to-morrow, he will come and pay you a visit, that he may see the house my father lived and died in. Indeed, child, replied the mother, your father had a brother, but he has been dead a long time, and I never heard of another. The mother and son talked no more then of the African magician, but the next day Allah ad uncle found him playing in another part of the town with other children, and, embracing him as before, put two pieces of gold into his hand, and said to him, Carry this child to your mother. Tell her that I will come and see her to-night, and bid her get us something for supper. But first show me the house where you live. After Allah ad had showed the African magician the house, he carried the two pieces of gold to his mother, and when he had told her of his uncle's intention, she went out and bought provisions, and considering she wanted various utensils, borrowed them of her neighbours. She spent the whole day in preparing the supper, and at night when it was ready, said to her son, Perhaps your uncle knows not how to find our house. Go and bring him, if you meet with him. Though Allah ad had showed the magician the house, he was ready to go, when somebody knocked at the door, which he immediately opened, and the magician came in, loaded with wine and all sorts of fruits, which he brought for a dessert. After the African magician had given what he brought into Allah ad hands, he saluted his mother, and desired her to show him the place where his brother Mustafa used to sit on the sofa, and when she had so done, he fell down and kissed it several times, crying out with tears in his eyes, "'My poor brother! How unhappy am I not to have come soon enough to give you one last embrace!' Allah ad mother desired him to sit down in the same place, but he declined. 
"'No,' said he, "'I shall take care how I do that. "'But give me leave to sit opposite to it, "'that although I am deprived of the satisfaction "'of seeing the master of a family so dear to me, "'I may at least have the pleasure of beholding "'the place where he used to sit.' The widow pressed him no farther, but left him at liberty to sit where he pleased. When the magician had made choice of a place and sat down, he began to enter into discourse with Alla ad mother. "'My good sister,' said he, "'do not be surprised at your never having seen me all the time you have been married to my brother Mustafa of happy memory. I have been forty years absent from this country, which is my native place,' as well as my late brothers, and during that time have travelled into the Indies, Persia, Arabia, Syria, and Egypt, have resided in the finest towns of those countries, and afterwards crossed over into Africa, where I made a longer stay. At last, as it is natural for a man, how distant soever it may be, to remember his native country, relations, and acquaintance, I was desirous to see mine again, and to embrace my dear brother, and finding I had strength enough to undertake so long a journey, I immediately made the necessary preparations and set out. I will not tell you the length of time it took me, all the obstacles I met with, and what fatigues I have endured to come hither, but nothing ever mortified and afflicted me so much, and hearing of my brother's death, for whom I always had a brotherly love and friendship, I observed his features in the face of my nephew, your son, and distinguished him among a number of children with whom he was at play. He can tell you how I received the most melancholy news that ever reached my ears. But God be praised for all things. It is a comfort for me to find, as it were, my brother in a son, who has his most remarkable features. The African magician, perceiving that the widow began to weep, at the remembrance of her husband, changed the conversation, and turning towards her son, asked him his name. "'I am called Allah ad said he. "'Well, Allah ad replied the magician, "'what business do you follow? Are you of any trade?' At this question the youth hung down his head, and was not a little abashed when his mother answered, "'Allah ad is an idle fellow.' His father, when alive, strove all he could to teach him his trade, but could not succeed. And since his death, notwithstanding all I can say to him, he does nothing but idle away his time in the streets, as you saw him, without considering he is no longer a child. And if you do not make him ashamed of it, I despair of his ever coming to any good. He knows that his father left him no fortune, and sees me endeavour to get bread by spinning cotton. For my part, I am resolved one of these days to turn him out of doors, and let him provide for himself. After these words, Allah ad mother burst into tears, and the magician said, This is not well, nephew. You must think of helping yourself, and getting your livelihood. There are many sorts of trades. "'Consider if you have not an inclination to some of them. "'Perhaps you do not like your father's, and would prefer another. "'Come, do not disguise your sentiments from me. "'I will endeavour to help you.' "'But finding that Allah ad returned no answer, "'If you have no mind,' continued he, 
to learn any handicraft. I will take a shop for you, furnish it with all sorts of fine stuffs and linens, and with the money you make of them, lay in fresh goods, and then you will live in an honourable way. Consult your inclination, and tell me freely what you think of my proposal. You shall always find me ready to keep my word. This plan greatly flattered Alla ad who hated work, but had sense enough to know that such shops were much frequented, and the owners respected. He told the magician he had a greater inclination to that business than to any other, and that he should be much obliged to him for his kindness. "'Since this profession is agreeable to you,' said the African magician, "'I will carry you with me to-morrow, "'clothe you as handsomely as the best merchants in the city, "'and afterwards we will think of opening a shop, as I mentioned.' "'The widow, who never till then could believe "'that the magician was her husband's brother, "'no longer doubted, after his promises of kindness to her son. "'She thanked him for his good intentions.' and after having exhorted Allah ad to render himself worthy of his uncle's favour by good behaviour, served up supper, at which they talked of several indifferent matters, and then the magician, who saw that the night was pretty far advanced, took his leave and retired. He came again the next day, as he had promised, and took Allah ad with him to a merchant, who sold all sorts of clothes for different ages and ranks, ready-made, and a variety of fine stuffs. He asked to see some that suited Allah ad in size, and after choosing a suit for himself which he liked best, and rejecting others which he did not think handsome enough, he bade Allah ad choose those he preferred. Allah ad charmed with the liberality of his new uncle, made choice of one, and the magician immediately paid for it. When Allah ad found himself so handsomely equipped, he returned his uncle thanks, who promised never to forsake him, but always to take him along with him, which he did to the most frequented places in the city, and particularly where the principal merchants kept their shops. When he brought him into the street where they sold the richest stuffs and finest linens, he said to Allah ad "'As you are soon to be a merchant, it is proper you should frequent these shops and be acquainted with them.' He then showed him the largest and finest mosques, carried him to the khans, or inns, where the merchants and travellers lodged, and afterwards to the sultan's palace, where he had free access, and at last brought him to his own khan, where, meeting with some merchants he had become acquainted with since his arrival, he gave them a treat to bring them and his pretended nephew acquainted. This entertainment lasted till night, when Allah ad would have taken leave of his uncle to go home. The magician would not let him go by himself, but conducted him to his mother, who, as soon as she saw him so well dressed, was transported with joy, and bestowed a thousand blessings upon the magician, for being at so great an expense upon her child. "'Generous relation,' said she, "'I know not how to thank you for your liberality.' I know that my son is not deserving of your favours, and were he ever so grateful, and answered your good intentions, he would be unworthy of them. I thank you with all my soul, and wish you may live long enough to witness my son's gratitude, which he cannot better show than by regulating his conduct by your good advice. Allah ad replied the magician, 
is a good boy, and I believe he shall do very well. But I am sorry for one thing, which is that I cannot perform to-morrow what I promised, because, as it is Friday, the shops will be shut up, and therefore we cannot hire or furnish one, but must wait till Saturday. I will, however, call on him to-morrow, and take him to walk in the gardens, where people of the best fashion generally resort. Perhaps he has never seen these amusements. He has only hitherto been among children. But now he must see men. The African magician took his leave of the mother and the son, and retired. Allah Adin, who was overjoyed to be so well clothed, anticipated the pleasure of walking in the gardens. He had never been out of the town, nor seen the environs, which were very beautiful and pleasant. Allah Adin rose early the next morning, dressed himself to be ready when his uncle called on him, and, after he had waited some time, began to be impatient, and stood watching at the door. But as soon as he perceived him coming, he told his mother, took his leave of her, and ran to meet him. The magician caressed Allah Adin and said, "'Come, my dear child, and I will show you fine things.' He then led him out at one of the gates of the city to some magnificent houses, or rather palaces, to each of which belonged beautiful gardens, into which anybody might enter. At every building he came to, he asked Allah Adin if he did not think it fine, and the youth was ready to answer when any one presented itself, crying out, Here is a finer house, uncle, than any we have seen yet. By this artifice, the cunning magician led Allah Adin some way into the country, and as he meant to carry him farther to execute his design, he took an opportunity to sit down in one of the gardens on the brink of a fountain of clear water, which discharged itself by a lion's mouth of bronze into a basin, pretending to be tired. "'Come, nephew,' said he, "'you must be weary as well as I. Let us rest ourselves.' and we shall be better able to pursue our walk. After they had sat down, the magician pulled from his girdle a handkerchief with cakes and fruit which he had provided, and laid them on the edge of the basin. He broke a cake in two, gave one half to Allah Adin, and ate the other himself, and in regard to the fruit, left him at liberty to take which sort he liked best. During this short repast, he exhorted his nephew to leave off keeping company with vagabonds, and seek that of wise and prudent men, to improve by their conversation. For, said he, you will soon be at man's estate, and you cannot too early begin to imitate their example. When they had eaten as much as they liked, they got up and pursued their walk through gardens separated from one another only by small ditches which marked out the limits without interrupting the communication. So great was the confidence the inhabitants reposed in each other. By this means, the African magician drew Allah ad-Din insensibly beyond the gardens and crossed the country till they nearly reached the mountains. Allah ad-Din, who had never been so far before, began to find himself much tired with so long a walk, and said to the magician, where are we going, uncle? We have left the gardens a great way behind us, and I see nothing but mountains. If we go much farther, I do not know whether I shall be able to reach the town again. 
"'Never fear, nephew,' said the false uncle. "'I will show you another garden, which surpasses all we have yet seen. "'It is not far off. "'And when we come there, you will say that you would have been sorry "'to have been so nigh and not seen it.' "'Allah ad was soon persuaded, "'and the magician, to make the way seem shorter and less fatiguing, "'told him a great many stories.' At last they arrived between two mountains of moderate height and equal size, divided by a narrow valley, which was the place where the magician intended to execute the design that had brought him from Africa to China. "'We will go no farther now,' said he to Allah ad "'I will show you here some extraordinary things, which, when you have seen, you will thank me for. But while I strike a light, "'Gather up all the loose, dry sticks you can see to kindle a fire with.' Allah ad found so many dried sticks that before the magician had made a light he had collected a great heap. The magician presently set them on fire, and when they were in a blaze threw in some incense which raised a cloud of smoke. This he dispersed on each side by pronouncing several magical words, which Allah ad did not understand.' At the same time, the earth, trembling, opened just before the magician and uncovered a stone laid horizontally with a brass ring fixed into the middle. Allah ad was so frightened at what he saw that he would have run away, but the magician caught hold of him, abused him, and gave him such a box on the ear that he knocked him down. Allah ad got up trembling and, with tears in his eyes, said to the magician, "'What have I done, uncle, to be treated in this severe manner?' "'I have my reasons,' answered the magician. "'I am your uncle. I supply the place of your father, and you ought to make no reply. "'But, child,' added he, softening, "'do not be afraid, for I shall not ask anything of you but that you obey me punctually, "'if you would reap the advantages which I intend you.' These fair promises calmed Allah ad fears and resentment, and when the magician saw that he was appeased, he said to him, You see what I have done by virtue of my incense and the words I pronounced. Know then that under this stone there is hidden a treasure destined to be yours, and which will make you richer than the greatest monarch in the world. No person but yourself is permitted to lift this stone or enter the cave. So you must punctually execute what I may command, for it is a matter of great consequence both to you and me. Allah ad amazed at all he saw and heard the magician say of the treasure which was to make him happy, forgot what was past, and rising said, Well, uncle, what is to be done? Command me, I am ready to obey. I am overjoyed, child, said the African magician, embracing him. Take hold of the ring, and lift up that stone. Indeed, uncle, replied Allah ad I am not strong enough. You must help me. You have no occasion for my assistance, answered the magician. If I help you, we shall be able to do nothing. Take hold of the ring, pronounce the names of your father and grandfather, then lift it up, and you will find it will come easily. Allah ad did as the magician bade him, raised the stone with ease, and laid it on one side. When the stone was pulled up, there appeared a cavity of about three or four feet deep, 
with a little door and steps to go down lower. Observe, my son, said the African magician, what I direct. Descend into the cave, and when you are at the bottom of those steps, you will find a door open, which will lead you into a spacious vault, divided into three great halls, in each of which you will see four large brass cisterns, placed on each side, full of gold and silver. But take care you do not meddle with them. Before you enter the first hall, be sure to tuck up your vest, wrap it about you, and then pass through the second into the third, without stopping. Above all things, have a care that you do not touch the walls, so much as with your clothes, for if you do, you will die instantly. At the end of the third hall, you will find a door which opens into a garden, planted with fine trees, loaded with fruit. Walk directly across the garden, by a path which will lead you to five steps that will bring you upon a terrace, where you will see a niche before you, and in that niche a lighted lamp. Take the lamp down and extinguish it. When you have thrown away the wick and poured out the liquor, put it in your vest-band and bring it to me. Do not be afraid that the liquor will spoil your clothes, for it is not oil, and the lamp will be dry as soon as it is thrown out. If you should wish for any of the fruit of the garden, you may gather as much as you please. After these words, the magician drew a ring off his finger and put it on one of Alla ad Deen's, telling him that it was a preservative against all evil, while he should observe what he had prescribed to him. After this instruction, he said, Go down boldly, child, and we shall both be rich all our lives. Allah ad Deen jumped into the cave, descended the steps, and found the three halls just as the African magician had described. He went through them with all the precaution the fear of death could inspire, crossed the garden without stopping, took down the lamp from the niche, threw out the wick and the liquor, and, as the magician had desired, put it in his vest-band. But as he came down from the terrace, seeing it was perfectly dry, he stopped in the garden to observe the fruit, which he only had a glimpse of in crossing it. All the trees were loaded with extraordinary fruit of different colours on each tree. Some bore fruit entirely white, and some clear and transparent as crystal, some pale red, and others deeper, some green, blue, and purple, and others yellow. In short, there was fruit of all colours. The white were pearls, the clear and transparent diamonds, the deep red rubies, the paler rubies, the green emeralds, the blue turquoises, the purple amethysts, and those that were of yellow cast, sapphires. Allah ad was altogether ignorant of their worth, and would have preferred figs and grapes, or any other fruits. But though he took them only for coloured glass of little value, yet he was so pleased with the variety of the colours and the beauty and extraordinary size of the seeming fruit, that he resolved to gather some of every sort, and accordingly filled the two new purses his uncle had bought for him with his clothes. Some he wrapped up in the skirts of his vest, which was of silk, large and wrapping, and crammed his bosom as full as it could hold. Allah ad having thus loaded himself with riches he knew not the value of, 
returned through the three halls with the same precaution, made all the haste he could that he might not make his uncle wait, and soon arrived at the mouth of the cave, where the African magician expected him with the utmost impatience. As soon as Alla ad -Din saw him, he cried out, "'Pray, uncle, lend me your hand to help me out.' "'Give me the lamp first, replied the magician. "'It will be troublesome to you.' "'Indeed, uncle,' answered Alla ad -Din, "'I cannot now. It is not troublesome to me, but I will as soon as I am up.' The African magician was so obstinate that he would have the lamp before he would help him up. And Allah ad -Din, who had encumbered himself so much with his fruit that he could not well get at it, refused to give it to him till he was out of the cave. The African magician, provoked at this obstinate refusal, flew into a passion, threw a little of his incense into the fire, which he had taken care to keep in, and no sooner pronounced two magical words than the stone which had closed the mouth of the cave moved into its place, with the earth over it in the same manner as it lay at the arrival of the magician and Alla ad -Din. This action of the African magicians plainly showed him to be neither Alla ad -Din's uncle nor Mustafa the tailor's brother, but a true African. Africa is a country whose inhabitants delight most in magic of any in the whole world, and he had applied himself to it from his youth. After forty years' experience in enchantments, geomancy, fumigations, and reading of magic books, he had found out that there was in the world a wonderful lamp, the possession of which would render him more powerful than any monarch. And by a late operation of geomancy, he had discovered that this lamp lay concealed in a subterraneous place in the midst of China, in the situation already described. Fully persuaded of the truth of this discovery, he set out from the farthest part of Africa, and after a long and fatiguing journey came to the town nearest to this treasure. But though he had a certain knowledge of the place where the lamp was, he was not permitted to take it himself, nor to enter the subterraneous place but must receive it from the hands of another person. For this reason he had addressed himself to Allah ad -Din, whom he looked upon as a young lad whose life was of no consequence, and fit to serve his purpose, resolving, as soon as he should get the lamp into his hands, to sacrifice him to his avarice and wickedness by making the fumigation mentioned before, and repeating two magical words, the effect of which would remove the stone into its place, so that no witness would remain of the transaction. The blow he had given Alla ad -Din was intended to make him obey the more readily, and give him the lamp as soon as he should ask for it. But his too great precipitation, and his fear lest somebody should come that way during their dispute, and discover what he wished to keep secret, produced an effect quite contrary to what he had proposed to himself. When the African magician saw that all his hopes were frustrated forever, he returned the same day for Africa, but went quite round the town, and at some distance from it, lest some persons who had observed him walk out with a boy, on seeing him come back without him, should entertain any suspicions and stop him. According to all appearances, there was no prospect of Alla ad -Din being any more heard of. 
but the magician, when he had contrived his death, forgot the ring he had put upon his finger, which preserved him, though he knew not its virtue. It may seem astonishing that the loss of that, together with the lamp, did not drive the magician to despair. But magicians are so much used to misfortunes, and events contrary to their wishes, that they do not lay them to heart, but still feed themselves to the end of life with unsubstantial notions and chimeras. The surprise of Allah ad who had never suspected this treachery from his pretended uncle, after all his caresses, and what he had done for him, is more easily to be imagined than expressed. When he found himself buried alive, he cried, and called out to his uncle, to tell him he was ready to give him the lamp, but in vain, since his cries could not be heard. He descended to the bottom of the steps, with a design to get into the garden, but the door which was opened before by enchantment was now shut by the same means. He then redoubled his cries and tears, sat down on the steps, without any hopes of ever seeing light again, and in a melancholy certainty of passing from the present darkness into that of a speedy death. End of section 16